We're joined over the phone today by Grace Treffinger and Sierra Torres from Cattail Cooks. Uh, it's so glad to have you both here today. How are you all doing today? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. Uh, so just to start out, I wonder if you could each maybe uh, tell me a little bit more about yourselves and about your organization, Cattail Cooks. Sure. Um, I'll start and then pass it to you, Sierra. So this is Grace. And um, we started Cattail Cooks about a year ago. Sierra and I both grew up in New Orleans and um, went to NOCA's Culinary Arts Program and worked in different restaurants around the city and um, around the country. And um, and now we are we started Cattail Cooks as a food storytelling and kind of catering project where we've done some private dinners, but also a lot of like community events and um, fundraisers, like for the from our friend Marguerite Green who ran for State mm-hmm. Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry. And we've done um, yeah, like we were going to be doing a kind of narrative food storytelling interactive cooking demo at Fossil Free Fest and. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of things planned for the spring. Obviously, all of that has been canceled, and um, and so we can get into it in a second. But then, so that's how we started this mutual aid effort, as we saw a big need for um, food in our community. Mm-hmm. Do you want to add something about that, Sierra? Or? I think you covered it at all. Hey, y'all, this is Sierra Torres. Like Grace said, grew up in New Orleans, uh, went to culinary school, and then I moved out to Massachusetts to receive my um, Bachelor of Science in Sustainable Agriculture. So really interested in the intersectionality of, like, the food that we're eating, but also, like, where is it coming from and how is it being grown. Just um, really care about Louisiana and making sure that everyone has access to good, healthy food, but that our farmers are also supported in that process. So, um yeah, the kind of work that we're doing now with the mutual aid efforts and the food relief efforts kind of ties all that in together. Cool. I want to stop for a, a second and follow up on something that you were talking about a second ago. You, Grace used mm-hmm. the word storytelling, and I'm very curious to hear a little bit more about how the storytelling and food fits into to your organization and what you do. Yeah, so um, we're, like, again, we started only about a year ago, and we've kind of, like, we've both worked full-time jobs outside of that, so we're we're also figuring out, like, how we how we do that and how mm-hmm. we do that the way we want to, and that's what, like, we've been trying to find opportunities to do that. But the main gist of it is, like, is figuring out, like, a big part of this is supporting local farmers and strengthening our food system, so we kind of have this, like, catering company in order to, to do this bigger uh-huh. goal of really, like, sharing the work that the really hard work that all these farmers and fishers and ranchers, et cetera, in, in Louisiana and the Gulf Coast have been doing for a long time and continue to do. So basically, like, for example, whenever we do events, we um, we really like uplift and amplify and share the stories of the farmers and the people growing the food. And also, for example, we taught a series of uh, cooking classes at NOCA for adults last summer that was all about like the ecosystems of Louisiana. And so each class followed a different ecosystem or eco-region, and, and we talked about, you know, like, our coast, and we talked about the upriver, um, like, prairies and, and ranching areas and, and how ranchers are adapting to um, some ranchers, very few in Louisiana, but are, are trying to adapt to how, how do we do this sustainably considering mm-hmm. the climate crisis. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how we how we interweave that. And, and then for us, too, like, the I guess to try to elaborate more on the storytelling piece, it's just, like, when we would do these culinary classes or when we cook these meals, it's, it's so amazing to see and to, to talk about all those different stories that people bring to the table around these food items or around, you know, where do they, where they used to grow up picking up their shrimp off the highway or 
um, you know, all these stories just started to kind of naturally come up. So for us, we see like food as a medium to tell stories about what's happening in our world, specifically what's happening here in Louisiana um, with the climate crisis and what's happening to our farmers who are, you know, being affected by this daily and having to adapt, you know, when, when very few people, you know, ever think about, okay, so like, you know, why are my oysters so much more expensive this year? Uh-huh. So that's kind of like the, the storytelling piece is just like, like everything that we eat has a story behind it. Like it's touched so many different hands and so many different people and has such a big history too that we just, we try to make that relevant in the food that we cook. So like I, I like to always say that we cook food with um, uh, integrity, um, which I don't know, maybe that sounds a little pretentious, but like I just like to think of it as like, it's like very intentional, like all, all the food we're cooking and the places we're sourcing it from, the people we're working with, like all of our menus with flex seasonal ingredients and we don't you know if it's december or you know january or whatever and um someone wants the strawberries on their menu we're like sorry we can't get that because that's not that's their yeah. season so we're not going to go out of our way to source from california where they're getting um like you know strawberries that are picked by migrant workers and at very low rates you know we don't want to support those systems we want to support more like local systems that are like are more equitable more sustainable so mm-hmm. that's kind of like I don't know. Food, food has always had this story element to it in our lives. So I think that's uh-huh. what we're trying to reconnect people to that or connect people to that in general. That's awesome. Well, I mean, on this topic of, uh, of, of systems and integrity and, and relationships, I feel like uh, obviously we're in a time right now of sort of particular precarity and a lot of people are in a pretty tough spot and y'all have gotten involved with some food-based mutual aid work that um, we're very interested to hear about. Yeah, so we, yeah. so basically in April, back in March, when we everybody went under quarantine, we lost all of our gigs for April and May and possibly into the summer. And in that, we also saw that a lot of the farmers were losing their markets. The Crescent City Farmers Market temporarily closed and like yeah. all the restaurants closed. So all these farmers had all this food, but didn't have the, the right, or didn't have, um, places to sell it to. So, um, we also started recognizing that a lot of the federal assistance that is helping to support families who have been affected by COVID doesn't quite like encompass everybody right now. Like there are a lot of people who don't qualify for like food stamps. They don't qualify for the stimulus check. We support a lot of undocumented people as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so we saw like this huge need for, we saw a huge supply that was coming in and then a huge need. And so we just started um, fundraising through friends and family, just putting our Venmo up and basically um, helping to collect a lot of in the beginning of was collecting um, food that was supposed to be cooked in restaurants or for catering mm-hmm. gigs and just rerouting that instead of it being thrown away into um, to people who needed it. So we, right now we are supporting 120 families wow. um, a week with groceries. So um, which is about like 400 400 people or something like that, right? Yeah, it's like a little bit more than a little bit more than 400 people. So we buy local produce with the money that's donated to us. And then um, we also supplement the boxes with dry goods that we buy from Restaurant Depot and, pre-pa- and then repackage. So we're just trying to like, you know, get food to people and also like support um, the different markets and like local farmers um, who might need that extra support right now. And like, we can talk about this too in the interview, but food systems like really changing right now, like mm-hmm. with the pandemic, which is really, it's really interesting to see it all happen. Um, but yeah, so we're just trying to figure out how to navigate this and 
um, you know, we're working in solidarity with other groups too um, and just trying to get people fed and give people groceries. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, that's great. Like I wanted to add that also like a big thing that we're thinking about all the time and working on is, is that like we understand that these inequities and that access to food has been a struggle for people way before COVID and the pandemic, and we know that that will continue afterwards. And so, mm-hmm. um, like, it's really important for us to think through how, where are all these gaps coming into play, and that, like, this isn't just crisis response where we're, like, where we can, where people should just, like, apply for grants and start projects right now that are temporary because we know that, like, this will continue and that we have to figure out ways to structurally change those barriers for people. Why are people, why are all, why is this local food all going to restaurants and grocery stores, like, not even grocery stores, really? Like, why isn't there why isn't there, you know, like sometimes even thinking about our boxes, I'm like, oh, this is like so bougie. Like we have like farmer's market produce and like, mm-hmm. and like, um, and like eggs that are more expensive per dozen, but it's like, why isn't that accessible to everyone? And how can we support farmers and train more farmers and work with people who are already doing that work to strengthen our local food system so that everyone has access to this? And this isn't just like for restaurants and for farmer's markets. And also a big part of that is, um, yeah, just like, strengthening our ties between mutual aid efforts and that's something that we're working on currently is is working across all these efforts because there are so many like the GNO Caring Collective, the New Orleans Mutual Aid Society and um Familias Unidas who has existed before this and has and has put all of their energy or focused most of their energy on supplying um around eight hundred people a week with groceries as well. But the but the pattern we see in all of these is that they need people want produce. Like it's easy to get canned food and, and dried food, but um, families have been, you know, in their homes for over a month now, and um, and a lot of them haven't had, like, produce and, and eggs and, and protein and things like that, so so that's what we're really trying to do is provide that to as many families as we can and hopefully grow and grow to support um, providing produce to these other mutual aid efforts that are supplying dried goods but can't get fresh produce and, and eggs and things like that, so... Cool. So, so two things that y'all are talking about that, uh, that you, you're already talking about that I want to see draw out some more. One, that's zero is your point about the food system really just changing in a more profound way, uh, around us and the larger supply chains and et cetera, et cetera, of food. And then also the sort of nuts and bolts of what these, uh, solidarities look like in starting to strategize for what a more like sustainable intervention looks like, uh, you know, from the, grassroots up, I guess. So I, I, any way that you would want to take that, either of you, like to go into more specifics? Yeah, can I take the first one and you'll take the second one, Grace? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so when the pandemic first started, like I said, there was there were, there was all this supply and there were no markets, so no demand to meet that supply from the local farmers and a lot of the, just a lot of national producers as well. And so um, the, the situation of the local food system, you know, when the pandemic first started a month and a half ago is very, is completely different than what it is now. So right now we actually have a, a scarcity in local food. So um, a lot of people are starting to recognize that buying your food from local farmers is um, just the safer and it's better. It's like better for us, like health wise and also just safer um, because, you know, your food, if you buy it from a, like a local producer, might only touch like, several hands whereas your food from the grocery store goes through many different hands and mm-hmm. you know who knows like who's touching it and what safety precautions they're using so um a lot of farms and markets have been able to adapt 
so that they can offer pickup um, of like CSA style boxes. So um, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, um, and that's basically boxes of produce. Whether sometimes that uh, produce comes from just the whole of that farm, or some of the farms are partnering together to sell um, different. Uh, produce boxes. So now we're seeing like this huge demand and people are willing to pay like that extra $2 for eggs or a dollar for eggs. Um, and it's, make, it's making it hard for certain markets to get that food. So mm-hmm. like we had our egg, egg producers who we've been, we've had a relationship with, you know, for a long time because we source, you know, these eggs for our gigs and whatnot. And when the pandemic first started, we were basically like buying 95 dozen eggs or whatever, however many eggs. Um, from them and then they they basically can't sell to us anymore because they can sell that their eggs at a higher price at the markets to like individual people than selling it at wholesale price to us so we, we you know which is we're really happy for them we're happy that like like local farmers are able to you know um sell out on their produce and to make money because that's how it should be like we should have been supporting these people before all this happened anyway and we, we would have had a stronger more resilient food system that would be able to support not just people who can afford it, um, but, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. So mm-hmm. now now there's kind of like – it's kind of like a Tetris game, trying to figure out, you know, all the people with buying power. Um, there's, like, a couple different, like, markets or just, like, individuals who are um, – like, I would consider, like, us one of them who are buying large amounts of produce from farmers. And so it's just trying to Tetris, like, who – like, who needs what. And so we're not fighting over – not I don't want to say fighting. Nobody's, like, actually fighting, but so that's – the market isn't competing over like the same produce. Um, and so we're trying to work really closely with our farmers and also with other markets and other um, food advocates and organizers to make sure that, you know, none, no food is going to waste. Like maybe a market needs kale one week and we're trying to order kale too, but we don't necessarily need kale for our boxes. Like we can put anything in the boxes. So we can, right. we can figure out ways to pick, like get produce that may not get sold like to these greater or might fall through the cracks so we're just trying to like really think about the structures that are happening within the food system and also like how do we not how do we continue this for the long run so that like when the pandemic is over you know these farmers have seen this like increased demand over the past two months you know right now they're planning their crops for that like right now that will be ready you know in the summer and so or maybe even um, in the fall, and so like if they increase their supply because there's an increased demand right now, and that demand doesn't hold, then the, you know we're going to end up having a weaker food system and hurting those farmers. So it's just like trying to figure out um, what's the best way to create these like more long-term sustainable structures. Um, and then also, to Grace mentioned this a little bit, there's a lot of efforts going on right now to support local farmers and to support local agriculture. And there's a lot of grant money out there, or there's some grant money out there. Um, which can can be dangerous if not navigated correctly. So, like, if there is a huge amount of money that comes available on a grant to source from local farmers um, and that money hits the market, you know, in this small amount of time, like kind of what I explained earlier, it's just, like, that Well, that, that, that money is not going to be there, like, long term, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it's like, how can we help, like, make sure that we continue to support people and support, like, people who need food, but also – we don't want to be creating like unsustainable structures so that when we're not, when we're finished doing this food relief aid, our farmers who we've been selling, you know, a thousand dollars of produce a week to, or buying that produce a week, they're not just left with that empty market and right. none, none of that income. So it's just, it's just, it's a really difficult thing to do. It's like, you know, we're always trying to like look, you know, figure out what's the best way to do it. And I think that 
like me, what me and Grace are doing, like we're really invested in the food system long term. Um, like outside of Cattail Cooks, like a big stuff that like a big part of our organization is that like we also do a lot of food advocacy and work within the food system. So yeah, I just want to figure out like how do we can like just strengthen our food system for the long term and not just for the short amount of time. I don't know, Grace, do you want to add anything to that? Um, no, I, I mean, I think you did a good job. I was just going to say, like, we have to figure out also how, I mean, like, I guess there's a lot of scheming going on, you know, like, how do we scheme to figure out, like, we've been thinking a lot about food distribution, there, there, there should just be a hub, you know, like, we should have more of a place where farmers can bring all their food, and then, like, it can get distributed to grocery stores. And the, and the root of it is that, like, there's so many root issues that we're organizing around that are much, you know, which hopefully, you know, I imagine we'll be organizing around our entire lives, but I hope not. Like, we have a lot of work to do around, like, the root causes of hunger are deeper than just, like, people not, you know, not having good grocery stores in their neighborhoods or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's poverty. There's there's a lot. So, like, we're thinking about all these things and also, like, it's, like, being urgent, addressing urgent needs and then also thinking strategically about, like, that we just need to train, like, hundreds if not, like, thousands more farmers in the Gulf South. Like, we just don't have enough small farmers. We have a lot of commodity crops grown, but that um, isn't the food that people eat every day. So, yeah, yeah we're, like, we're definitely, we're thinking about all of that. And, and in the meantime, like, in the short term, um, figuring out how we can just, like, get people food that need it right now. So, it's, like, it's a both-and kind of situation. But, um, yeah. I think that, yeah. And and, and, and so, I guess... Oh yeah, what was this? I'm like, can you repeat? <laughs> Did we answer the second question? I don't remember. Yeah, well, yeah, moving towards it. Yeah, so I, I think so. I, I mean, I think I was curious about the nuts and bolts of the solidarities that y'all are working on and, and sort of relationships that you're developing with other organizations and farmers and stuff. And I think on a, on a sort of structural level, you definitely did answer that question. Uh, I think as a way of moving towards a conclusion, maybe talking a little bit more about some of these other organizations and then also how folks can stay tuned and be involved and support your work. Great. Yeah. So we've been in communication. Like the whole point is that we can't do this alone and like we have to collectively organize now and long-term in order to address these root issues and also just meet people's basic needs in the moment. Mm-hmm. So We've been working with GNO Caring Collective really closely, um, and they're providing dried goods and also prepared meals to, I don't remember how many families now, but they're growing really rapidly. And um, as well as, uh, I've just been in communication with the New Orleans Mutual Aid Society, and we're trying to support their work, and, and, and it's mutual, you know, like they're also, I just got off the phone right before we, we got on this call to figure out how we can um if there's a way for us to provide produce or if they um, – anyway, just gen- in general, like when we have extra things, that they, they're preparing meals and providing them seven days a week to, I think, about 120 households and then 50 households a week of of, um, of boxed-up pantry items and grocery items. And then the Familias Unidas en Acción is providing food to – um, about, yeah, I think it's growing to nearly 800. I don't know if they're there yet, but 800 families or people a week, and um, and that's like a box of groceries a week. But, again, like we said, everything, it's produce that all of them are lacking. And so we're like, we're really, it's still a puzzle that we're working to figuring out. But they have, along with other groups, like weekly calls that we just started. These are all really new, like, relationships because the first time was just like, the first month was spent just like, 
triage kind of, you know, like getting mm-hmm. food out and just figuring out our own system. But, um, yeah, where we're at is, is that and figuring out how we can, um, be in solidarity. Like, again, this is all, we don't have a clear plan of, like, we just want to support, we want to support the work they're doing now. And then, like, as we start to get more regular communication across all these groups, I think that just makes this network so much stronger. And that's what we're working mm-hmm. towards. Um, and people are, you know, working around the clock on this. So I think it's like, it's moving, things are changing every day. Um, and, and we're just like having to adapt. But, Ways that yeah, this is all dependent right now. Like 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 we were saying, this is all very dependent on um, people donating. And where we're at is like it takes for Tattoo Cooks to do this for um, about 120 families a week. It's it's around 2,000 to 2,500 dollars a week. Those boxes are about like 16 or 17 dollars a box. And um and so we are trying to just raise funds so that we can keep doing this and keep keep bringing food to people and um. And so, like, the way people can donate is by Venmoing us or at Cattail Cooks or going to PayPal and paying to cattailcooks at gmail.com. And we also just, like, in solidarity with Familias Unidas especially because because um, a lot of these families, most of the families we're serving and I think nearly all the families they're serving don't have access to any federal assistance or stimulus checks or anything that could potentially help assuage the, the struggles people are facing right now. So... You can also go to familiasunidasla.org and you can go to their GoFundMe. So that's, yeah, F-A-M-I-L-I-A-S-U-N-I-D-A-S-L-A.org. Um, and just like share this with us. You know what? We're all facing, we're all experiencing this in such different ways and like at such different extreme levels. Um, and some people are still employed luckily and are getting paid and, and working from home. Others are unemployed and, and struggling to, to make ends meet at home and, and any way that people can just donate, I, what we're trying to figure out is if getting some people to regularly donate, um, because it's like, it just helps to, um, yeah, to serve those who are in need of just getting basic groceries on the table. So, um, we appreciate anything. Yeah. And I just want to say too, like about the other organizations who are doing this, this kind of mutual aid and food relief, um, work is that like everyone are just, they're, everyone who's doing this work in organizing are just average people like me and you. I mean, like a lot of the people from Familias Unidas who like aren't employed either or like potentially or like undocumented as well. And like, you know, like, like me and Grace are like also just trying to figure this out. And the people at the Mutual Aid Society like have their, like just had a baby and are like cooking these meals all the time. And so like, it's just really inspiring to be working in association and in solidarity with these other groups and just trying to figure out how we can use our connections with farmers and our experience in the produce side of things to get, to get that to them. And like an ideal world, we could just like in these calls say, yeah, we can just deliver this produce to you. But I mean, it just costs so much money to even just to put 120 family like boxes together for these families, like mm-hmm. just being able to support 100. I can't even imagine what that must be like. And so I think that, like I know we're all, like Grace said, we're all struggling at this time in our own ways. But if you have an income right now, or if you are are able to get your stimulus check, like you're in a, a better position than so many people right now who don't have access to food and can't even leave their homes because they're afraid that they might get deported or because they're so sick and they can't move or you know just even just like working with our families, we've gotten so many stories from our families and just messages about how desperately like they need this food and so 
I mean, it's, it's like, it's so, it's like very heavy work. Like I, you know, in the beginning it was like, okay, we feel so good just giving, getting these boxes and seeing how much great food they had in them. And now it's like, like reading emails after emails about how people really, really need this and how they have nothing. And like, they don't even have transportation or anything. And like, we're at, we're at capacity. Like it's so difficult to say no. And like, there's times where like, I've gone into my own, our cabinets and just like, like come up with a small bag of food to give to people. Cause it's just like, I don't know, I feel like very fortunate to have what we have and be able to do with kind of organizing. Um, mm-hmm. And then like the last thing I'll say about just um, the money too, is that like our efforts have been completely supported by average people, like either by donating $10, $50, you know, hundred dollars here and there. It's like, it's not, we're not being sponsored by some organization. We have no grant funding and we've been able to raise almost $16,000 in six weeks. So that's for me like when that's like such a powerful and like a powerful and inspiring to see all this come together like people who don't necessarily have a lot of money or who have like oh sorry i think i jumped are you guys there yeah 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 sorry i just jumped i just jumped out but um yeah just just supporting these efforts and that it's really awesome to see all this all these people organizing around getting people food but at the same time like me and grace also thinking like what's the long-term like sustainability of this whole situation you know like each time we have to fundraise week to week it's like we get less and less donations you know and that's like a scary thought because we are committed to supplying these families with 100 like the 120 families with food and i feel like i personally feel like like i like this is like this is our responsibility you know what i mean so i mean there's definitely ways to get the money and we're like working and working and always doing this but um i just think that that alone has been really inspiring to me just seeing how people are coming together to bring make all this happen yeah great um well we're pretty much out of time but um i just want to say that uh you'll have a great and very informative facebook page um that uh yeah that talks about the stuff that y'all are doing uh over at cat tail cook Great Strevenger and Theo Torres, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Theo. Appreciate it. All right. Bye.